electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Future solid as lower yields continue to provide ammo for the bulls. Ten-year hits four and a quarter. A big morning on tap. Deal book summit in New York. Andrew Ross Sorkin has Jamie Dimon and NVIDIA's Jensen Wong. Meantime, Richmond Fed President Barkin at the CNBC CFO Council Summit. And in a few moments, GM's Mary Barr will join us, reinstating full-year guidance, a new buyback and div hike. Jim, GM shares up 9% pre-market. A lot of news here. That uh, accelerated buyback is really extraordinary. The, the, the real commitment to shareholders. And I think that, especially in light of uh, Adam Jones's note yesterday talking about how much they burn money on R&D, this calls all that into question. Uh, Mary Barr has been under fire, I think, because of Cruz, uh, which is the problem they've had with the EV. Well, no, well self-driving. 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 They spend, spend money on EV. And then, self-driving. And then obviously rolling battery. back in terms of at least their ambitions in EV in, in terms of timeline. Right. Battery problem. She right. highlights that. But David, what I'm surprised that even after all that, the amount of money they have is extraordinary. Yeah. Well, I guess is that almost part of the point here of just saying, hey, look what we can do? I think it's definitely the case. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ford it didn't follow suit. These got this thing sells at four times earnings, Carl. I mean, at a certain four point, times earnings. four times earnings. Yeah. Now, typically that means that earnings are going to be cut in half, and it's really selling eight times next year. But uh, I, this is a kind of encouraging thing to buy back this amount. Uh, very rare. Uh, some people say she's taking private. Can't do that. Obviously, they have a huge debt position. But I've got to tell you, right after the cruise, after the self-drive, which you know I'm going to ask about since I was in one, this is quite impressive, and I think it says we're not dead. We're good. Uh, there's going to be uh, some savings on the cruise front. Meanwhile, we got some numbers on the impact of the strike, Jim. Uh, $1.1 billion, uh, adjusted uh, EBIT impact. Yesterday, Jonas had a note, Morgan Stanley, yeah, looking at the the time it takes an average S&P to spend their market oh. cap in CapEx R&D. It's normally about 50 years. In the case of GM and Ford, it's about two years. You're, you're, what was really incredible was that I first thought it was a, a false construct. Because, sure, the S&P, I mean, you're talking about not a lot of companies that are spent of R&D. So then she compares it to Caterpillar, which I think is, he compares to Caterpillar. That's a very fair one. If Mary was looking at that, she said, well, geez, Caterpillar is 20, 26, 27 years. It was a great piece. of obviously did not motivate this. But I do think that uh, the Sergio quotient, as Adam <laughs> yes, did, right. just go did make me feel that... Uh, I wanted a reason for being. I wanted a reason to own these stocks after how much money they spent on R&D. And yet, name me five brands of GM, okay? But throughout all of this, they still have giant cash flow. They still make money from selling good old ICE vehicles. Yeah. Now, she was confessed about, about EV. Battery's not good. Right. Well, we're going to, again, have the opportunity. No, no ask, I'm just uh, saying that there's, oh. like, if you, have, if you have self-drive, not that good. You have batteries, not that good. But you have ICE, very good. Right, I but of course, it's all about what's coming, and, and full investors speed. have been paying for the for uh, those future cash well, flows. Conceivably, you have to make that transition. Eventually, we will get to both EV and autonomous. Eventually, it may take a lot longer than we think. But, but. 
GM and Ford both pride themselves on having vehicles that people want and need and can afford. And do the EVs fit those categories? Maybe the F-150. But I think it's, and I'm not saying it's the love affairs over EV. I'm saying maybe there was never a love affair other than there was a love affair with Tesla. A day before we're going to get the Cybertruck unveiling. Yeah. Now, the Cybertruck, stainless steel, I know we can talk about that with Phil LeBeau. It just is a material that costs too much. It's a brilliant material to use. I think this is going to end up being a Lamborghini when what we really want is like in the foot, in the ads and football, you know, we want a Chevy truck. You know right. what I mean? We want to be able to throw right. you and your whole family in and then like all the furniture and then put in some like hay. And I don't want to feel like it's not going to pull it. No. You want to know it can. Yeah. yeah. David? Yes, sir. Torque. Torque. Very important. Torque. Torque. T-O-R-Q-U-E. Very nice. No, we, 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 we have Phil. He knows Torque. Um, guys, important to note, I mean, given GM's uh, response so far, is an accelerated share repurchase. Right. Just, so How much by the already? end of next year, it's gonna, going to be all done. And in fact, as much as, uh, you know, $6.8 billion will be done uh, immediately. Uh, essentially. Don't you uh, find that unusual? 1.37 You've billion been around. Shares. So this is not as though they're just re-upping on an existing buyback and adding right. to it. This is, we're in the market immediately buying back a significant today, number today, of our shares today. that is going to reduce, obviously, the, the outstandings and therefore enhance earnings per share. But I keep coming back to what she's disappointed in rather than say what I'm disappointed in. This Ultium-based EV production 2023 due to difficulties with battery modal Bojo Assembly, I, I keep coming back to, Jay, to David's excellent interview where this is not a problem with another manufacturer. Oh, May 16th, Elon Musk. May 16th, what is it like? We're supposed to know that a date. That will live, live in infamy. In infamy? It will, although today he's going to be, uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, I've lost you know Elon to Sorkin. You ever played bridge? You know I never did, my You're, grandmother. Okay, for those who know, who know it, David's too no Trump. <laughs> That's too obscure for me. Uh, me too. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Buffett would know. But maybe I'll take it up as a hobby as I move into my later years. Jim, will you play with me? Will you teach Any me how to play bridge? I, I can do Rummy Cube and crush you. Okay. Carl, would you like to join our bridge club? <laughs> I have the can big Rummy Cube. Can we do Rummy Cube, cube instead? <laughs> Let's move on to the markets uh, amid investor hopes uh, for a Fed rate cut next year, Jim. That Waller uh, question yesterday uh, asked by Nick Timoros really got things moving. Got the two-year down to, what, four, six, seven? Going back to July now. I, I do think that what, boy, the Chinese must be sitting there saying, how can they have a 5% GDP growth and declining inflation? We want their business model. I mean, the Chinese, David, they, could, they used to be able to command these numbers. Uh, and then they had the unemployment among youth, of which then, of course, the best way to deal with that is, is what? Stop reporting. Stop it. reporting. It. Yeah. But these numbers are extraordinary. The PC the, the, must be extraordinary, too. I mean, there's many reasons why these numbers come together. And my hat's off to Bill Ackman for some great calls. That was a good call, actually. Two calls. Uh, now Two that- calls. Um, and the, the, the fall in rates has been, has been significant, to well, say the least, <laughs> given what it's been. Three weeks ago, we, right. were, talk, we were at 5%. Well, right? we have a number of quarters that reported today. We had last night, we had CrowdStrike, we had NetApp, we had Workday, we had Intuit. And whatever multiple you wanted to put on them before this, and by the way, all, all four were good, uh, what you immediately say is, i got to pay more because I'm not paying enough. Uh, my, the line of the quarter so far was Neil Bushry. Uh, trying to set everybody straight on Workday. Now, he did not lead the quarter anymore. Carl Eschenbeck did. 
interesting. Because he's co-CEO. Co-CEO, but still, we're he's talking, going yeah, we're talking about work day. But he just said, look, yeah. you know, we keep hearing about elongated cycles. We keep hearing about how hard it is to do this. Forget that. It's a different dynamic for every company post-COVID. They want to have platforms. They only want to have a couple of vendors. So stop focusing on this notion of it's hard to do business and start focusing on this notion that business is great. Now, that's my read-through of his because the workday quarter of the 10 questions, we got six, six, congratulations, gentlemen, which you know is the ratio, David, that takes a P up. A uh, you mentioned points. that on Twitter, yes. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's uh, sensational. Yeah, we got raised guidance out of Workday and, uh, and Crowd. NTAP's up 11 oh. uh, pre-market. NTAP had a, just a terrific clean quarter. George Curian is a great manager, not talked about enough. Uh, I thought that I have, uh, I have uh, Kurt's on tonight from CrowdStrike. Uh, this is a quarter, David, where you feel that you yourself, are go- your brain is going to be hacked unless you hire CrowdStrike. Really? They're going to hack you because of vishing. I mean, you know, they play on people's yeah, kindness. I I, the the Chinese, kindness of strangers. The Chinese like crawled all over Tennessee me like Williams 11, 12 years ago when I first did that cyber espionage. You can ask Brad. I mean, they crawled oh, all over all April my stuff. April 23rd. Uh, another date. That I don't remember when it was. Infamy. I have no idea when I did that. I just I have My point implanted. is that I've already, they've already, they own me already. They I own me. They, they already scanned everything I ever had. 10 years ago. No, I thought that was Elliot that scanned everything you ever had. <laughs> no, Elliot, Elliot Partners. Elliot doesn't know anything about me. Um, did you, you didn't hit into it. Okay, I did. I mentioned into it was extraordinary. You mentioned it, but I feel like oh, you should supposed come to talk about. It. You want me to talk about Credit Karma? Is well, that what you're worried about, the Credit Karma line? It's a $160 billion market David, value company. it is the engine of small business, and small business is the backbone of the American economy. Thank you, Larry Kudlow. Where'd you come up with that one? Larry Kudlow? <laughs> um, Kudlow and Kramer, I lost the coin toss. It should have been Kramer and Kudlow. Uh, but Intuit, Intuit had extraordinary numbers. And the one division that they had that wasn't that good, they had told you it wasn't going to be that good. Credit Karma. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not quite, I mean uh, yeah, Credit Karma. MailChimp was extraordinary. I never liked that name MailChimp. It always demeans themselves. It was <laughs> very good. Uh, they do guide Q2 revenue in line, uh, but still up 11, almost 12%. I, Intuit, if anyone has a small business, you can't live without Intuit. You can't. And they had a nice tie-in with uh, automatic data. Meantime, uh, the business world is remembering a legendary investor, longtime Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chair Charlie Munger, has died at age 99. He and Berkshire CEO Warren Buffett had that decades-long partnership at the conglomerate. Our Becky Quick sat down with Munger just a couple of weeks ago, taping an interview ahead of what would have been his centennial this January, and she asked Munger if he had any regrets. Is there anything left on your bucket list, anything you'd like to do? Well, that's an interesting question. I am so old and weak compared to what I was when I was 96 that I no longer want to catch a 200-pound tuna. It's just too goddamn much work to get it in. It takes too much physical strength. So I don't know why I would have paid any amount to catch a 200-pound tuna when I was younger and never caught one. And, and now I, if you give me the opportunity, I would just decline going. I, I won't even go out after them. <laughs> there are things you give up with time. You're pretty active. You've got a busy social schedule. You're on Zoom. You have breakfasts and lunch. Well, Lunches I like it that way. Yeah. That's my idea of a proper old age for me. And I didn't plan it. It just happened, and and when it happened, I welcomed it. 
I, I am very good at recognizing unfair advantages. And I got unfair advantages in old age the way I got unfair advantages in non-old age. And when they came, I just grabbed them, boom, boom, boom. The one grab I never made was for a third wife. <laughs> Too late. Jim, I think uh, investors really enjoying reviewing his life lessons, um, spending less than you earn, investing prudently, not relying on luck necessarily. No, and I just think you can come back over and over again to his notion that you want to buy really great properties at fair prices. David, it's really emblematic of how great uh, he is that I think he actually changed the greatest investor of all times mind about what kind of companies to buy. Right. Right. Uh, Buffett says that instead of picking up sort of, what was it, cigar butts? Yes, cigar You know, butts. and taking one last puff, which was the early days of Berkshire. Munger said, no, 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 let's buy the best, best companies at fair prices instead of right. not great companies at discounted prices. I know, uh, Becky's got a special tomorrow night, and Becky's work has just been extraordinary because, I mean, I read the print articles, and they're all good. But she captured them, and, and obviously... Look, to say he's hysterical is, you know, in this business, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. It took me an hour and a half for an 80-pound tuna. An hour and a half, so he needs some. Well, he was looking for a 300-pound tuna. I know, a 300-pound yeah. tuna would take five people to bring it in. What an amazing guy, and he's funny, and it's kind of like he's with us still. I mean, the guy's just otherworldly. Oh, I th- he'll be with us uh, for a long time to come. Uh, we look forward to tomorrow night, Thursday, 8 p.m., uh, we'll pay our respects to Charlie Munger. When we come back, uh, GM's Mary Barra, first on CNBC, in a moment. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. GM up sharply, as we said, after announcing that buyback, plans to boost the dividend next year, reinstating guidance. Our own Phil LeBeau joins us this morning with a special guest. Hi, Phil. Hey, Carl, let's bring in Mary Barra, chair and CEO of General Motors. Mary, I just heard you on the conference call with analysts. Uh, Some fairly tough questions about where General Motors has been in the last year. And you said it on the call. You've had some execution issues. Uh, We'll talk about the guidance and the updated guidance in just a little bit. But how do you convince investors, yeah, we had a bad year last year or 2023, but we're going to get our act together? Well, I think, Phil, when you look at um, what we've achieved in 2023, yes, we had some challenges with module production that we weren't able to deliver as many Ultium-based EVs as we would like. And we've had this recent incident with Cruz, uh, and we're doing a review, and we will make sure that we have the right path going forward. But from an ICE perspective, uh, you know, really have a really strong performance that we've been able to uh, have 
the right products that customers want to buy. We haven't, uh, we're below what the average incentive prices are. And so when we look at um, other parts of the business, they've operated very well. There was a lot of challenges this year uh, with labor negotiation, et cetera. Those are behind us now. And that's what gives us confidence in the business, confidence to do the ASR at a $10 billion level. And you know we're going to move forward and execute and, uh, again, move past these, I'll say, bumps in the road on, in the areas of, of autonomous and electrification. Mary, let's talk about that stock repurchase program. You're immediately going to buy back enough stock to retire about 17% of your outstanding shares out there. When did the board make a decision? You know what? 10 billion is the right amount of money that we need to spend in order to bring down the number of outstanding shares and to boost the stock. Well, I think when you look at uh, from a uh, capital allocation framework, we, we always look at that on a regular base, basis from a board perspective. And this was a recommendation from management uh, because as we got through some of the uh, elements of the year that were driving a lot of uncertainty, once we had that certainty, we were able to make this decision and get to a price or get to a place from a cash balance perspective that is more what we've said we want to have going forward. So this was really uh, a reflection of our, our capital allocation framework. You know, when you look at the last few years, there's been a lot of uncertainty, whether it was the pandemic, semiconductor, labor, those are past us. We have confidence in the business going forward, both in our internal combustion and our EV and our software, and then our path uh, that we'll work on from an autonomous perspective, that's what gave us the confidence and the board the confidence to make this decision. I don't mind. Thank you, Mary, for being on our show. I wanted to ask you, Mary, not, not that long ago, I was in a uh, self-driving car with Kyle Vogt in San Francisco. One, was I un in an unsafe position? Should I not have been in there? Was that a danger to me that I rode in that? And two, why did Kyle Vogt leave? I understand he wanted to spend more time with his family, but I also understand that Waymo did not have to get pulled and yours did get pulled. I want some answers on what happened here. Well, let me take that in from a reverse order perspective. I think uh, when we look at, uh, from a cruise perspective, Kyle left um, on his own. So that was a decision that he made. And I think asking him why he did that, I think, would be a better question for, for him. When we look at, uh, you know, the difference of what happened um, to, to Cruise, I think it was a lack of transparency. And this is something that when General Motors learned what had happened uh, in the incident that was, uh, you know, tragic, uh, we have... Uh, gotten more involved and leaned in. We still have a lot of faith in the techno technology community and the technical talent that's at Cruise uh, as we move forward. But clearly, a better job has to be done in uh, building relationships and being transparent with the regulators at the state, uh, the local, and the federal level, as well as with first responders. So I think that was one of the issues as we move forward, and we're already b building the relationship and leveraging the strength that General Motors has in this space of of having a strong government relations team at all levels, and that's one. Of the things we'll do forward. You know from a General Motors perspective, safety is an overriding priority and we always focus on transparency. So driving that into uh, the cruise operations is, is a, a number one objective that we are already undertaking. Uh, I've ridden in the vehicle many times as well uh, and I think as we go with this technology we have to look at the um, the fact that 40,000 people uh, lose their lives uh, and 90% of accidents and fatalities caused today are caused by human error. Um, as we move this technology, we've got to get better uh, faster. But I think when we look at uh, where it is compared, and there's been re uh, studies done as it relates to um, safer than a human driver, I think what we've le learned in this, it's got to be much safer than a human driver.
Fair enough. I want to switch directions to something that hasn't been talked about that much, which is China. In 2018, uh, your market share was 13.7%. Now you're at 8.6%. In the meantime, it's, all, it's fair to say that between 2018 and what at least the first nine months of 2023 indicate, your uh, sales may have been in billions, may have been cut in half. Uh, would it not be better to try to figure out what to do with China than just buy back shares? And what happens if President Biden says, you know what, cars cost too much money, let the Chinese sell cars here? Well, I think uh, a lot packed into that question there, but uh, we have been working. I mean, I think there's a lot of change happening in China when you look at their rapid shift to electrification and the rise of a lot of domestic uh, EV companies. I think they're still sorting that it has to happen. There's over uh, 100 companies and many of them are not profitable. We have, you know, we are still uh, in the high single digit uh, share perspective between our, our two joint ventures. And so having the right portfolio and participating uh, with where our, our brands belong in that market is something that we're very focused on. And so I think uh, we can have a good position in China, but recognize there has been some structural changes there. Uh, so, and your second question, of, uh, Jim, was? Oh, j- just in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much money, well, that money would be better spent there. I mean, because I'm trying to figure out how come your sales went down so much. And the sales are down substantially in terms well, of market share and in terms of ma- amount of money. Yeah, I think, though, if you look, there's been a very much a structural shift uh, with uh, the domestic OEMs uh, really gaining share and, and gaining consumer acceptance, which I think for several years prior, the markets were dominated by Western manufacturers. And with the shift to electrification, there's been a reset there. And again, when you have 100 new entrants coming into a market, there's going to be a shift. We think we're well positioned with our plan in China, and that was all factored into what we're doing and, and from the ASR. We think we have the right plans for each areas of our business uh, that gave us confidence to do the $10 billion ASR. Thank you. Uh, Mary, it's David. Speaking of the consumer and a shift, it appears that there seems to be at least a downshift in demand for EVs. It's a little more than a month ago that you slowed your electric car production in North America. And I'm curious, how would you characterize that demand right now for EVs worldwide and in this country? And, you know, to what do you attribute this potential shift down in terms of demand? Well, I don't think we were ever going to see a straight line uh, from an EV adoption perspective. We've seen ups and downs already in the the China market. Uh, we're just getting into the market from a European perspective, but I think you know you're going to see you know ups and downs um, as but with a overall uh, trend of increasing from an EV perspective. And when you look at the United States, um, you know you've got to have the right EVs. Uh, the biggest markets are in that thirty to forty thousand dollar, or the biggest segments, excuse me, are in that. Thirty to forty thousand uh, dollar price vehicle. You know we have the Bolt there that's done very well as we get more and more um, of our Chevy Blazer EVs and Chevy Equinox EVs into the market. I think we're going to be hitting a sweet spot with a vehicle that has no excuses. There's no uh, sacrifices that someone has to make. I think that's going to end up being very important as well. But I think we're going to see an up and down with a with a slope that's positive from an EV adoption. And clearly, uh, charging infrastructure has to be robust as well. So I don't think it's that EV sales are going down. I think the rate of growth has has slowed. And again, I think we're going to see variation as we move forward. Mary, that's Phil again. How confident are you that you will get the issues when it comes to Ultium battery cell production fixed and you can ramp up production? Because that's the key to all of your guidance when it comes to EV sales and margins in 24 and 25. 
And frankly, it hasn't worked out so far in 23. How do you fix that and how quickly can it uh, start to ramp from here? Uh, so, uh, Phil, I totally agree with you. This is very important that we get the Ultium-based products out. We'll have more in H2 of 23 than we had in H1, but next year is going to be a critical year. As we said, we think uh, you know we have more module capacity coming online toward the end of this year into early next year. That's why we feel uh, we'll see improvements in H1, improvements in H2, and beyond that, we don't think modules will be a constraint. Uh, and a lot of learnings there that uh, we've applied. And as I mentioned on, on the call, we've not only changed the process, we've uh, also changed the team. Uh, so I believe that that's behind us and I'm confident in our uh, ability to deliver significantly more Ultium-based EV products. And these are products, again, that have no compromise when we look at uh, what the customer is gonna be looking for. So I wanna get there. I'm disappointed where we are today, but I think we've cleared the path and uh, going forward, you'll see that in 24. And just to be clear, Mary, you guys are still sticking with your guidance that you expect to have single-digit margins, positive margins, on your EVs in 25. Am I correct? You're absolutely correct, and you're going to hear more about that tomorrow from Paul at the investor conference. Mary Barth, chair and CEO of General Motors. Appreciate you joining us today, Mary. I know it's a busy day as you guys announce an accelerated stock repurchase program Carl, I'll send it back to you guys. All right, Phil, thank you. I'm Phil LeBeau this morning. Uh, meantime, Jamie Dimon on stage with Andrew Ross Sorkin at Deal Book in New York. He began by asking why Dimon views it as a dangerous time right now. We'll listen to that and sne sneak in a quick break here in a minute. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Opening bell in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board, it's Build-A-Bear Workshop at the NASDAQ. It's Bank Holding Company, West Banco, headquartered in West Virginia. As we mentioned, Jamie Diamond, Andrew began by asking why Diamond views it as a dangerous time. Here's what he said. Again, welcome, everybody. Uh, you know, if you look at history and you open a newspaper of any month of any year, you know, of course, there's always tough stuff going on, wars and depressions and recessions. And, but if you look at this time and what's happening in Ukraine, a 600-mile front, a free and democratic European nation, 600,000 casualties, huge humanitarian crisis, NATO on the border of NATO, nuclear blackmail, uh, and it's affecting you know, all oil and gas, migration, food costs, and all international military and economic relationships. That's pretty tough. And that was before the terrorist attack in Israel. And so I look at those things as kind of, it's dangerous. And, you know, we need, we need to get through it. Now, hopefully, it'll all go away. But if you look at the history of battles like this, they're unpredictable. You don't know the full effect. And so, you know, and I've spoken to a lot of people. I think you've talked to Condi Rice and Bob Gates and some of the military folks. They would say the same thing. This is really complex, and obviously it's affecting America and China. As a result of this, though, yep. what do you do about it? Meaning... We can all sit and say that this may be one of the most dangerous times in the world, but how are you, how are you changing what you're doing as a function of it? 
Well, if you're talking about the company, you're talking about the nation. So I think as a nation, Let's go I, both. But this is my own personal view. We better have the best military in the world, bar none. There is no replacement for that. I think we learned a lesson, got a little complacent, which happens in companies, it happens in countries, but we should not be complacent. The world is always a dangerous place. We just forgot. Number two, you know, uh, I think oil and gas can be explosive, ex explosive, expensive, and it hurts poor nations and poor people. We need to be very thoughtful about it. I think this is about keeping the Western world together. So the Western world, think of military and economic, and you know, it needs American leadership, not rude, arrogant American leadership, but American leadership to make sure this world stays together. And that affects trade. That affects all economic relations, and you know, we have to do a good job at that. I don't want the book written in 50 years saying how the West lost. Okay, and so that's what it's going to take, and hopefully we'll have that. How do you handicap this, though? Because it's one thing to say, look, this may be one of the most dangerous times in the world, but is that a 10% chance that, it's, that this is the most dangerous time? What, how, do you, how do you think about that? And it's also very hard to bet on the end of the world. Yeah, I'm not betting on anything. So when you, we do risk management, we don't look at risk management saying, well, we don't think it's going to happen, or we do look at percentages. Like, but what's the range of potential outcomes? But my view is when you have this kind of risk, you better deal with it very seriously because the chance of something going wrong is high. And if it goes wrong, the, the cost of that will be enormous. So that's, that's just how I look at it. And so you know, I think every citizen of the world, the democratic world, should be looking at it saying, what can we do to do a better job? And the first thing is the military side. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, we don't win from a position of weakness. You, you avoid war from a position of strength. We have to do that. And I think we should be supporting free enterprise. As a nation, you know, Bob Gates wrote a book, which is brilliant, but there's a first chapter of a book called Exercise of Powers, Symphony of Power. And he talks about how we overused and misused sometimes our military muscle, but underused development finance, communications, like the benefits of being free and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of enterprise, uh, uh, communications about that. Uh, economic relationships, diplomacy. So I traveled around the world. You know, America's absent in some places. The Chinese now are all over Latin America, they're all over Africa. I'm not against them. I'm simply saying we need to do a better job at that. And if you look at our development finance and some of our stuff, those efforts have been coming down for years. And so we, we need to thoughtfully and strategically handle that problem. Just, just walk yeah. through the permutations, though, if you could. <clears throat> Meaning, if this is the most dangerous time, how does it metastasize? You look at what's happening in Israel, and we're going to talk to the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, in just a little bit. We're having the president of, uh, of Taiwan uh, on the screen in just a little bit. I, you just mentioned China and the Middle East yeah. as examples. What do you think could happen? Yeah, well, I already mentioned nuclear blackmail, so mankind faces some huge risks. There are three I'm going to mention, okay? One is obviously these wars, which is not one of those three, but nuclear proliferation. That is probably the most dangerous thing facing mankind. Climate change, which we need a lot of work to do, and we kind of don't really have to act together on that, if you think about good policy. And another pandemic. We, in my view, we were kind of lucky in this pandemic. You know, it wasn't as deadly as a smallpox, and it didn't kill children. And so we need to get our act together to get those things done. Obviously, wars are unpredictable. And, you know, what's going on in the Middle East is unpredictable there. What's going on in... You know, hopefully these wars will end up, you know, in armistice, in peace. That's good for Ukraine and Israel. Uh, but you can't count on that happening. And certainly you can't count on it happening before we meet again in a year from now. Let me ask you about the role of business in the, on the, in the geopolitical sphere. You do a lot of business in China. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a report that you were going to underwrite uh, the Xi'an uh, IPO. Yep. You do business with ByteDance, yep. uh, which happens to be the owner of TikTok, uh, a 
business that a lot of people think is fundamentally a, a national security threat to the United States? You know, how, how do you justify that? I was in China, and you know, of course, there's people afraid about you being pro-China, stuff like that. And I said, the Chinese know one thing about me. I'm red-blooded, full-throated, free market, pro-capitalist, pro-American. And I salute what the American government does. And we're, we're talking to them all the time about what is the right way to deal with national security. You know, it's not Xi'an. Now, that isn't the issue about national security. But, you know, when the government comes up with what they want to do, I'm going to salute. And that's what J.P. Moore is going to do. But in the meantime, it's a very complicated subject. So every, every nation has national security interests. You know, ours is semiconductors and, and uh, you know, maybe some data. But, you know, for Europe, it's energy. They are completely reliant on outside parties for their energy. You know, even for China, they import, I think, 9 or 10 million barrels of oil a day. So every country is going to be looking at its own national security interests. And so the complexity of China will we'll work that. We want, to be part, we, we, we want to be at the table and help figure out. And I think the government is talking about the right way. Narrow garden, high walls, semiconductors, you know, penis, 100 percent of our penicillin, 100 percent of our pharmaceutical parts come from there. Obviously, we should fix that. But is there any part of you that says, for example, doing business with ByteDance? with TikTok. We're going to have Kevin McCarthy on. He's not a fan, as you know, of TikTok. There are a number of states uh, that are trying to ban TikTok. I'm not going to go through it here, and I'm not going to talk about clients. You can imagine the due diligence and work we do to figure out what the truth is about those things. If some of those people are doing things that we think are truly bad, we would not bank them. And of course, the American government will have a point of view in that, and we'll engage in those conversations, too. Let me ask you about but, but, I, but I also think, I think engagement is good. I'm not afraid of China, okay? We have all the food, war, and energy. We have the Atlantic and the Pacific. We, are, we are, have not pissed off our neighbors. We've got a great relationship with Mexico and Canada. You know, they have a very complex neighborhood. They've done a pretty good job angering their, all the people around them, okay? And that's, and we're all remilitarizing. Japan, the Koreas, Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. And whatever you think about Russia, they're not great friends. You know, like, in, like a mere 30 or 40 years ago, there were armies on both sides between Russia and China. So, and they have to import 10 million barrels of oil a day. They've got terrible demographics. So I'm not afraid of China. I think we should engage exactly the way the administration is doing it today. And I think it's good for an American bank to be there to help American, you know, multinationals around the world and China with their own development if it makes sense. If for some reason the American government says, nope, can't do that anymore, then so be it. Okay, so but what is that risk? I don't set foreign policy for the United right, States. But, but what is that risk, and how do you think about that risk? And the reason I ask the question is we have a number of businesses. Today we're going to talk to Bob Iger. He's got a big business in, in China as well. And to the extent you think that the war in Ukraine uh, could have been a dress rehearsal for what would happen if there was a takeover of Taiwan, maybe you don't think it's a, a dress rehearsal. But the reason I mention it is if, in fact, that were to happen, if you remember, most U.S. businesses left Russia. Now, they could do that economically. It was not the hardest thing to do. It would be much harder for American businesses, for, I imagine you, for a Disney, for an Apple, for a Nike, to leave China. If the American government makes me leave China, I'm leaving China, okay? It doesn't matter what I think or don't think. But I think you're, if, if there's a war in Taiwan, you can take all bets off. That will be a major depression, a major problem. America will be better off than China. You know, so, you know, and it would be really tough. No one thinks that's going to happen. It may happen. So as a risk manager, JP Morgan can handle that. But that would be really bad for the world and really bad for China. 
really bad for the people of China. So I don't think it's going to happen, but you, know, I, you can't say it won't. So you, you know, have to be prepared for it. And, uh, but I think the best thing to do is to help the American government figure out what we need to do to protect our national security, protect our allies, keep the Western alliances together, and make it clear to people who are adversaries or potential adversaries what the cost to them will be of bad actions. That's what we should do. We're going to have the vice president here in just a little bit. How do you think they're doing at that? I think, you know, I, I think they've done a good job coalescing the world for Ukraine. I think you and I can argue they should have done more quicker and stuff like that. And I probably would do more quicker. I think when you have, you know, this type of battle taking place, making it harder for Ukraine is bad. And, you know, we want Ukraine to be in a position where they can eventually settle this in a way that they feel good about what's done. And that gets very complicated. You know, I think we need to do a better job keeping the Western world together economically, diplomatically, and, and, and strategically in the ways I already mentioned. That we need to do more. And, you know, for example, for the Democrats not to talk trade. So, you know, I travel the world, I speak to these ministers of finance and prime ministers, and, you know, we're talking to them about all these things about, and I, which I'm for, human rights, labor laws, climate, but these nations need help and economic relationships. They almost kind of say to me sometimes, well, why can't you talk about something important called trade and economics? And I think we should. We should have joined the CPP to TPP, I begged Trump to call, I told Trump he should call it the Trump Pacific Partnership, and I thought it might get him over the edge. And what happened? <laughs> well, it didn't work. And uh, then he did the tariffs, which I'm not in favor of. I was in favor of focusing on the issues which we all ignored for a long time about the seriousness of Chinese competitive position. And uh, uh, so, you know, we, should, we need to do stuff like that. And I think the, the government has explained to the people why we need to do these trade things, as opposed to saying we can't talk trade because some part of the party doesn't want to do it. Why, why is us getting involved in Ukraine America first? It is. That is America. That's the front line of democracy right now for the world. And if we haven't learned the lesson in 1938 and 1917, I mean, we've got to teach history to people. Okay, so we have an election coming up yeah. uh, in about a year. Yeah. What do you think of the, the, the two leading candidates right now? Oh, God. I'm not, you know, not going to tell you. <laughs> You're not going to tell I me? I did come out and make a nice statement about Nikki Haley. You did. Uh, you've been talking to Nikki Haley. Liberal, yes, I have. Even if you're a very liberal Democrat, I urge you, you know, help Nikki Haley, too. You know, get a choice on a Republican side that might be better than Trump. And is that your view, that it's anything but Trump? I, I would never say that, you know, because he might be the president. I have to deal with that, too. And, you know, but 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 when he was I, the president, you said critical things about him. Yeah, I don't mind criticizing the president. Yeah. But you feel I mean, one of the big questions, I think, is about the business community and whether they should be speaking out or not on politics. This is a big question, especially as we get into this election. <laughs> and what the right answer is in this particularly well, unique yeah, moment. You're going to have Kevin McCarthy next who got mad at me one point because we took a point of view and so When you say po politics is personal, right? So you all get to vote for who you want. We all get to debate and stuff like that. We get involved in policy. Okay, I, I will tell you all that Amer we've done a terrible job taking care of our bottom 30% of, of, of earners. So you're all wealthy and have money and all stuff like that. But their average, their average wages are 15 to $20 a year. They're the ones who lost their job in, in COVID. They're the ones whose health is, they're dying five or six years younger than the rest of us. They're the ones who don't have medical insurance. They're the ones who their schools don't work. And they're the ones dealing with crime. 
what, what the hell have we done as a nation? So, you know, I agree with that. We need to fix that. So when you talk about policy, obviously we should, you know, we need better immigration policy. We need better education policy. We need better infrastructure policy. But you need we, people to we, run those policies. And the question is, which, who do you think would do a better job? I'm not, and, I, and the reason I, the reason I ask is, whoever's president, I'm going to try to help do the best job possible. But when, do you when think Donald that, Trump became president, I went to see him and joined that business council. Those things almost never worked, by the way. Uh, and I left it the second Charlottesville happened. You know, my daughter wrote me a long, elegant letter about, you know, basically anyone. How, how could you, Dad? She quoted Martin Luther King at the end. And I called her up, and then my other two daughters and my wife sent me a quick email saying, ditto. Like, you're, <laughs> you're, you're embarrassing us. And I called her up and said, Julia, you have everything right except the conclusion. I'm not taking myself off the playing field. I will walk into that Oval Office, try to help whoever is the president of the United States to do a better job for our people. That's my job. And I, I, I couldn't imagine saying I'm not going to White House because who's there. I don't agree with a lot of things he does. But I also want to point out, I think it's like we're in New York City, you know, the bastion of liberal society. Like, people, we should stop talking about ultra-maga. I think you're insulting a large group of people, and, and then we're making this assumption scapegoating, which the press is pretty good at too, where that somehow these people believe in Trump's family values, and they're supporting the personal person. I don't think that's true. I think what they're looking at is saying the economy is pretty good, like even the black community had the lowest unemployment rate ever in his last year. He wasn't wrong about China. He wasn't wrong about NATO. He wasn't wrong about the misuse of the military. So that's why they're looking at that. And Maureen Dowd wrote this great piece about her brother. You know, why her brother's, I'm not sure he's pro-Trump, but he's pro-Republican. People should listen a little bit more to this. You know, if you're a Democrat, you know, read George Will. Read, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a Republican, read Tom Friedman. We, we should get out of this thing where it's one way or the other. I don't, I'm not mad at people who are anti-abortion. You know, if you, if you believe in God and the conception starts at the moment of birth, you are not a bad person. You know, and I just think people have to stop denigrating each other all the time because people take a point of view that's slightly different than yours. And, and that, you know, we're a democracy. People should right. vote and solve some of these issues. Okay, but then and, you, and they won't always be what you want. Explain this then. You look at today's economy here in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's Jamie Dimon with Andrew Ross Sorkin, a deal book, talking some geopolitics, some sheer politics, pretty centrist framework, Jim. But as you pointed out on Twitter, uh, his geopolitical stance, he keeps returning to the relatively hawkish view. Right. I mean, look, it's like listening to, to a, a Henry Kissinger talk about the need for the United States to be able to project its power and not become a a shrinking violet. It, it, it's a lot about what we can do with our great natural resources and what must be done in Ukraine. David, I, look, I'm a stock guy, okay, so I'm not going to, I mean, I, I took political science like 50,000 years ago. He said it was a dangerous time. Now, people are going to not like what I just say, but he said it was a dangerous time, and the S&P was at 4,327, 4, and then the S&P dropped very quickly to uh, 4,117, and then it just went straight up. So what I'm saying is that there's a big difference between what he's saying and what we do. And I think a lot of people confuse it to it, it's a big mistake. Right, uh, listen, he's gotta run a business that's global in nature, and he's worrying about things that, that those uh, who are investing perhaps are not. Geopolitics does not seem to impact the broader market uh, for long periods of time. Right. And we've seen that so many times. I do think it's interesting how focused he is on Ukraine because it, the attention has been diverted a bit given the Israel-Hamas right. war. And yet Jamie has been very much focused on that and the threat it represents for quite some time. Um, listen, you can listen to him all day. I think he's 
fascinating to right. listen to uh, in terms of his view and, 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 and the way he sees things. What Obviously, a great industry. Having sat atop the, uh, one of our nation's, if not our nation's right. largest single financial Premier. institution now for, what, 17 but years. Isn't it a delight to have someone who does not play for dinner talk about things? He does not play for dinner. It makes all the difference in the world. Everyone who is in his work, when he evolves into politics, I mean, he, you know, he, he's not beholden. And this is what people are like when they're not beholden. Uh, yeah, look, just apropos of, of, of something that's on our network that I absolutely love, Shark Tank. Mark Cuban, not beholden if he were to run for president. These are people who tend not to do well because the beholden, the, look, the, the constituencies of the two parties do not talk like this. No, no, and he made the point that many others have made that unfortunately Carl does not actually seem to come to bear, which is that there needs to be some conversation. Got to listen to the other side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, the Trump, the Fox people vote for Trump and the non-Fox people vote for Biden. There you go. Wish there was more to it. Certainly would like it. When he tells Fox people to read Tom Friedman, you know, that's actually not going to happen. He wish it would. When he compares 2017, you know, kind of an amazing time. We got in. We didn't, who knew what to do? 1938, we didn't know what to do. Seems so, like, I mean, he's right, but again, it's been dangerous. What I don't like about it is he minimizes danger because it's been dangerous yeah. he, since um, we were born. You're probably more hawkish vis-a-vis -vis China than he is. Much. Right? Much. I, I think, I, mean, I just spent the last four days doing deep dives on cybersecurity. What is cybersecurity about other than a couple of, you get, you get some thugs, but most of it is, is China trying to disrupt us. I believe in the Ghost Fleet Theory, a great novel that Mark Benioff gave me, he's on tonight on the show, about how the Chinese uh, could shut down our Navy. Uh, now, that's, uh, obviously it's fiction, but I do think that the Taiwan uh, approach that he talked about and the great way that Andrew asked about it was, isn't that the most dangerous thing, not Ukraine? Yes, because Ukraine is, they're a proxy state for us. But no, he did. I mean, Jamie did no say all bets are off. If that all bets are happen. off. Now, you know, and a lot of, but there seems to be a lot of concern about it. We'll see if anything actually ever really occurs. What is there. what is but, Jensen Wong, if not Taiwan semi? I mean, he's got the great plans, but this is Nvidia. But all bets are off. Should there really be an? It must be protected. But we do not have. What do we have? A division? Do we have a company of soldiers? Do we have a platoon? Uh, you know, we're really going to get into that debate here. Because, yes, because that's probably the most important placement for military know. in the world, not Japan. How many divisions do we need in Japan? I haven't seen Japan be exactly the right. hot. In the current of political environment, I'd be curious to see how you articulate us sending soldiers over to defend Taiwan. That'd be uh, just saying. I think that go, the go at it. Look, the two-state policy is a fiction. The Republic. I mean, a lot of people want us to get out of Ukraine, not get out, stop the, supporting including Ukraine, including perhaps Biden and Jake Solm, for all we know. No, Scale I wasn't back. thinking of them, actually. No, I mean, you know, look, <laughs> they've been the ones the other way. Well, I don't want to devolve into this, but just to say that Taiwan Semi is probably yeah. the most important company in the world, and it's not an American government. That's, that is true. That's what I'm saying. That is yeah. true. Although it was formed from American technology by a guy who worked at Texas Instruments. Yes, it, yes he did. And by the way, Mark the semiconductors Chang. are up furiously today, but I know there it it's is. geopolitical day. But wow, I mean, we do have a, a meeting of NATO ministers going on as we speak, Jim. But to your point, all these flashpots busting all around the world, and we are close to 4,600, as you said earlier. Look, we have been at war many times. I mean, look, look let's play some Warren Buffett and some Charlie Munger about one of the best times to invest. It, I, it is a terrible thing to say that you you buy when they can and go on the blood in the street. It's a little hackneyed, but yeah. there's been no great time. I mean, look, anyone who's seen Oppenheimer, somewhat truthful, knows that we put our heads in cubby holes in fifth in 
when we were five and seven and told that this would protect us from thermonuclear war, in retrospect, suboptimal solution. Well, he didn't include uh, AI running out of control as one of his key dangers. So and then Jensen my, Wong will be makes, on. Makes just, my list. Uh, Andrew, I'm sure we'll talk to Jensen Wong about it, and I think we will share that with you well, as well. Well, Jensen Wong will um, say, as apropos of the New Yorker piece, first they come for the fiction writers. Right. One of the great lines. Creativity. All right, guys, a couple of quick things to hit. Uh, we hit Phillips 66 on the 8 o'clock hour, of course, with Elliott taking that position. That stock is up a billion dollars. They want two board seats. I did want to get to KKR, a name that we really don't cover that often here because they had some significant announcements this morning. They're having a conference call as well with their investor base. And they really are trying to reset in some way sort of the next few years for that company in terms of the growth that they expect um, and how they are laying it out, given when you go back and you can see what they've done over here, take a look over the last few years as well in terms of their like half a billion in asset uh, in assets under management. They think they can double that over the next number of years. But they also uh, go into some detail this morning. They buy what they don't already own. They controlled a, a, an insurance company, Global Atlantic, back in 2021. They own 63%. Now they're buying in 37% they don't own. So they're going to completely own the insurer. Uh, and we've seen this, of course, Apollo leading the way. In many ways, some people say, well, it's as much an insurance company as anything else at Apollo. KKR also seeing the benefits of that approach as well. But they are also doing some other things, modifying their compensation ratios. So the compensation is now going to be derived largely from carried interest. The idea being you're essentially aligning your employee base with your investor base in a more significant way, given it's not as much based on fee income as it is whether your investments do well. And then finally, kind of, you know, we, get, we talked about Charlie Munger this morning. Um, they're also looking at something called strategic holdings. It's a new business segment. It will be comprised of their core PE balance sheet holdings, meaning when they buy a company, Jim, they're not looking necessarily to sell it as much as to take dividends from it every year. They're going to hold on to a number of the companies in the strategic holdings, a business that they have, and, and run them for paying cash to back to, to KKR. Berkshire Hathaway? Well, I mean, that part of the business. They have $6.5 billion deployed there now, uh, and they see a lot more. I did speak briefly to Scott Nuttall, the co-CEO of KKR, and he talked about, you know, uh, saying, listen, believe cash dividends that will come from them. They've already got as much as $800 million in EBITDA, their share from the businesses that they already um, have a, a, a significant stake in. So... That's another area that they see as growth. You know, the idea being, and, and Nuttall's going to be talking about it with Joe Bai, the other CEO, about the growth path for KKR. But you can see investors responding quite positively to the announcements from this morning. There's just this moment in time where we have a lot of companies just are saying, you know what, you don't like us, we'll take care of it ourselves. I mean, GM. Moving its stock, okay? KKR explaining how much better they are. I've never felt this way about, I haven't always, their yeah. tremendous esteem. Didn't know what they had, and that's why it's so hard to judge. Companies taking the bull by the horns just saying, listen, we're undervalued. And wait to hear Jensen Wong when he talks about a, 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 a deal book for NVIDIA selling it. Oh, you you got to stock selling it 25 times earnings. Uh, but that's crazy. One of the greatest growth companies in the world, 25 times earnings. Some right. stocks are very undervalued. You know, we did start with GM. I would come back to you on it because there's a number of investors who are pushing back on the idea that really is this the best use of your capital? I know. You've got Tesla out there continuing to build, continuing to get ready for increased demand. And this is what you're choosing to do in terms of decision. I know. Um, Short-termism coming up, obviously. Phil Lobo and I going back and forth right now. I mean, isn't the truth that they need to manufacture better? They don't make them as well as Tesla.
Jim, you mentioned what you have tonight. Well, first I want to say Foot Locker, Mary Dillon. Congratulations. First of the good quarters, just like yes, what she did with yes. Ulta. It's right now. It's right now. She's going to fix champs, too. Um, I've got CrowdStrike, which had an amazing quarter last night. Don't read this. Don't read what he had to say because you will be so frightened about what is happening. Slootman is at one tough ombre. Snowflake's got that rent the cloud, but we'll see how he does. And then Mark Benioff, people are worried that he has not going to show the sales growth next year. I think that's sorely misplaced and he will deliver. A lot of chatter between all the software names we've gotten and Microsoft and now and what that means for CRM and Oracle. Well, I think that Oracle is really undervalued, and I think they're going to fix what they did. They had a Cerner problem, their healthcare, uh, basically acquisition that people don't like. Larry Ellison is doing more AI, and Amazon knows it. Everyone needs AI because he saw what Jensen was doing, and he has the most spare cards. I'm not worried about them. Uh, look, I, I do think if you look at Workday, that's a good, really good analog to Salesforce, and that stock could be up 20. Yeah, a lot of these names in software, especially uh, with some double-digit gains. Uh, we'll keep our eye on DealBook in New York, of course, and then there's Barkin at the CNBC CFO Council in D.C. We'll get you that after a short break. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.